Blog Talk Radio. Jets fans, just nine days away now from the NFL Draft. Cannot get here soon enough. Thank you all for tuning in. I am Glenn Naughton. You are listening to Jet Nation Radio, as you well know. Tonight we're going to uh, we're going to have a guest on. Christian Dyer of Metro New York is going to be joining us. Going to cover a couple of topics with him before Christian comes on to share a few thoughts of my own at the moment. Uh, things that are going on right now. Things that are. You know, rumors that are continuing to swirl, stories that have uh, popped up and come and gone throughout the week. And, uh, of course, the Jets uh, kicked off the day one of their uh, off-season program this week. Really, this is about getting guys in, taking a look, making sure guys are guys are in shape, staying out of trouble. Uh, you know, it's more of a, a touch base, check and see how everybody's doing. Obviously, just a few days in shorts and you're not you're not going to get a whole lot done on the field. It's more about off the field stuff. Uh, you know, more, more important. That, you know, the teams like the Jets, where you have new coordinators coming in, um, it, it, you know, it'll help in that respect and in, in introducing a few new things or just giving guys a heads up what's what's to come down the road when things ramp up a little bit. But uh, that's just <clears throat> again, it's a, it's a it's nice that there's some form of football underway, but in all reality, it's it's a it's it's a still Still pretty uh pretty long ways to go till we get to the real thing. So we have the draft in under under two weeks, about a week and a half away now. And uh the Jets, as we all know, sitting at number three where you know, it's, it's, everyone knows they're taking a quarterback and I still I I still can't believe that I see people um who say to me on Twitter or uh you know, on Facebook or wherever that uh you know, why are we assuming it's a quarterback? Why, why, why can't it be Barkley? And I just, I don't know what to say to those people. I think, I think I've addressed it already on the air. No need to get into that again. But um, one thing, one interesting note that popped up, and um, it's something that I, I pointed out when the Jets, when the Jets made their deal to move up to number three from six to three, there were. Uh, a few people that weren't happy with the move because we're oh we're, how are we going to build through the draft if we're giving away our draft picks and uh, you know that, that that's the price you pay if you want to move if you want to move up and get a quarterback and everybody knows this is what the Jets needed to do anyway so I I love the move at the time and one of the reasons I cited for for liking the move so much uh, in the write up that I did following the trade was that the Jets basically they avoid getting leapfrogged. You know, there's only one spot that where you know we've heard the we've heard talk that the Browns and Giants are willing to move down, and from all reports, and and I, I don't doubt this. You know, sometimes there's smokescreen stuff, sometimes there's people guessing, but based on what's what's unfolding, look, looking at the fact that the Jets moved up to three, um, I think tells you that the cost to move up to one or two was too high. 
And the Jets, if they were moving up to one or two, those teams at one or two, now, of course, the Giants are a bit of a different story, playing in the same building, same city, all that. I'd mentioned that previously, that you'd be kind of foolish to expect the Giants to do a deal with the Jets unless the Jets just gave up, you know, the next 10 years worth of first-round draft picks. So that was highly unlikely. But we are still hearing that if, you know, for teams that have contacted the Giants, that the price tag is is insane to get up to two. And the same thing with the Browns at one. So they're saying openly that they're willing to make a deal. But what it sounds like is that when teams are calling, the price is just through the roof. And Mike McCagnin made this deal, and this is what made me think of uh, bringing this up tonight, is that uh, a Buffalo Bills beat reporter, I uh, believe it was uh, Sal Cappuccio, if, I, if I'm reading that right. No, no, sorry, Sal Cappuccio. Okay, so Sal Cappuccio sends out a tweet that uh, Bills general manager Brandon Bean is meeting with the media, and he makes a comment regarding the Jets and Colts trade. And what Brandon Bean says about the deal is that it wasn't a normal deal and that things like that usually happen closer to the draft. So what, what, what he's basically saying here, because we know the Bills have sold the farm up to this point, and we're will, I mean willing to do more. They traded their starting left tackle to move up in the draft. They've traded picks to move up in the draft. And they were they were absolutely 100% primed to move up into the top three. So Mike McCagnin probably couldn't get a deal with Cleveland at one, probably couldn't get a deal with the Giants at two, knew that at six <clears throat> he had the best – he was going to be able to put together the best offer in terms of how, how far – the Colts were going to have to move down. Because put yourself in the Colts' position. Before this deal went down and everybody was speculating who's going to move up, who's going to move up, you heard all these people saying, you know, the Bills have the draft capital, which they did. I mean, they, the, the Bills had a ton of picks. They still have a ton of picks. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. But put yourself in the, in the shoes of the Colts. If you're going to acquire several premium picks and only have to move down three slots versus – acquiring several premium picks and moving down nine or ten slots or 11 slots or 15 slots, which, which move are you going to make? So Mike McCagnin, rather than sit on his hands and wait for the draft, because I had people telling me this. I had people telling me no deal is going to be made. Now, you wait till the draft. You wait until the draft. And my thought was, why in the world – Mike McCagnin had to get a quarterback this year. What sense does it make for him to sit on his hands and wait for a team like the Buffalo Bills to leapfrog him or maybe the Arizona Cardinals? I mean, the, the Bills, had they made that deal, had, had Mike McCagnon waited and waited and waited, whether it had been this week or sometime later this week or during the draft, if Mike McCagnon got leapfrogged by the Bills and he was sitting at six and by getting leapfrogged all four quarterbacks were gone, by the time he got to sit, by the time the Jets were on the clock at six, Mike McCagnin's getting fired. If Mike McCagnin is sitting there at six and the Bills trade up, and he panics, now he's giving up those second rounders, and he's probably having to throw in a couple of firsts, if not one first, in order to move up 
and get a quarterback at four. So you're a slot higher than you would be at four if you would have had to make a panic move and give up even more picks one slot lower in the draft where maybe you don't get a guy that you like. And as I said before, if you're trading up to three, it's not only you're not only trading up to three because, oh, it's you know, we're not giving up to what it takes to get to two or one. You believe there's a guy who's gonna be there that you can win with. And this is this is what I said when the deal was made. Is that everybody's saying, Oh, now they have to settle for the third best quarterback. It's not about that. First of all, none of us know who the hell the best damn quarterback is gonna be until three years from now we can talk about who the best quarterback in the draft was. It might be it might be Waluda, might be Mike White. Nobody knows. But of course, we're going off the speculation, what we've seen on what we've seen on film, what we've seen on highlights, what Mike Mayock is telling us, what Eric Galco is telling us, what all the insiders are telling us. That, that that's what we're going on, and what we can watch. Fans who sit and pretend that they've watched, you know, 15 different quarterbacks play 60 different games, spare me. All right, that it, to some degree, unless this is your livelihood, you're you're not watching. You know, even five quarterbacks play 30, 40 games. Um, you know, I, I watch a few games from each guy. I, I look at scouting reports. I decide what I think. I, I look at the guys who I respect some more than others to kind of, you know, maybe a little confirmation bias. You know, you look, you look for the guy who agrees with you, and you go, oh, yeah, this guy's got it right. But whatever the case may be, Mike McCagden traded up to three, so clearly he believes there will be a quarterback there at three who the Jets can win with. This isn't about, I think Rich Cimini had a, posted a headline the other day, Jets settle for third best quarterback. It's about getting a guy you believe you can win with. It's not about, oh, no, we got the third best guy. If the third best guy on your board is not a guy that you believe you can win with, you don't trade up to three. That's just that's pure foolishness. To move up to three in a draft where you think there's only one or two good quarterbacks and just sit there and hope that one of them falls to three. You don't do that. You identify three guys, you move up to three, and now if you're the Buffalo Bills, you're sitting there, Richie Incognito just retired. Eric Wood retired. You traded Cordy Glenn. That's your left tackle, your left guard, and your center. And you got nothing. You have nothing in those spots. And you need a quarterback. I'll tell you what. I don't even know if the Bills would want a quarterback at this point. They might, they might be better off saving their picks, draft some linemen. I mean, I know it's somewhat contradictory because I've said all along it's about getting a quarterback. But, my goodness, there are bad offensive line situations, and then there are free agency is over, the draft is next week, and we don't have three starters. This is like – this this is not a normal thing. You don't. This doesn't happen to teams. You can be bad on the O line, but you've got all three of your starters are gone. On the, from the left side, you two on the left and your center are gone. And you're going to trade away a bunch of picks. The Bills still may do it. There are still people speculating, but the Arizona Cardinals could make some moves to try to move up. Some people have said maybe the Pats. I don't see that happening. They, you know, multiple first-rounders, that's fine. But to get from where they are all the way up to 
two or four, that's just that would take quite a bit. I don't see Bill Belichick doing that. I've seen people write it because it gets the headlines, it gets the clicks. Ooh, ah, look at this. The Patriots are going to trade up and, and grab Baker Mayfield. That that would be <clears throat> that that would just be insane. I don't see that happening. I think again, I think that's more about generating clicks. So I just wanted to again, having said it before, but even more so now, you know, looking at how all of this is unfolding and knowing that teams want to move up and you have, you know, a a a GM within your own division saying, "Yeah, this yeah, this isn't that uh Jets Colts trade wasn't a normal thing and stuff normally happens closer to the draft." That's that's to me that's a guy admitting we didn't see that coming. That's the spot we were trying to get to and we were going to wait a little bit till we tried to get it. And the Jets, Mike McCagnan and the Jets, they didn't wait. They just went and did what they knew needed to be done. And I applaud him for that. Now he's got to get the pick right, of course. But we're a couple years from knowing whether or not he got it right. Don't, that won't stop fans from saying he got it wrong the day of the draft. Within a, a second of the pick being made, there will be those, no matter who he takes, that rip the move. But I, th- I think most Jets fans are going to be happy, it, you know, um, and they should be. You're either going to get Rosen or Mayfield, um, and and what if Darn? What if Donald flips? What what if somebody else? I mean, there's been a lot of talk now about the Browns possibly taking Josh Allen at one, or or Baker Mayfield at one. You know, it, 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 I don't think it's impossible. I think it's I now I think it's highly unlikely. I'm not sitting here saying I don't think Donald is going to go number one overall, but would anyone be shocked if he didn't? Would anyone go, oh, there was no way in the world I saw that coming? I mean, you, you have to realize there are a lot of different things at play when these, with these teams evaluating these quarterbacks. And you can make a good case for any four of these guys, or at least three of them, to go number one overall. Um, I do think Darnold goes number one overall. But if he didn't, wouldn't that be something? If he falls to the Jets at three, all the, you know, suck for Sam, and I can't believe we lost out on the guy, and and either way, no, no matter who they get, Jets fans should be happy. They should be optimistic moving forward. Me personally, I've said for weeks now, I've, I've kind of flip-flopped back and forth between Rosen and Mayfield, Rosen and Mayfield. I'm, I'm settled on Mayfield now. I want Mayfield. I want the guy who, uh, who can make the throws on the run, who has more escapability. I'm not saying he's Russell Wilson like a lot of other people are, but he's got enough escapability that he can make plays if things break down. I, I like his arm strength, you know, underrated. I, actually, underrated probably isn't a fair, a fair word to use. Just I'm surprised to see the number of people um, that I have who say he doesn't have – he can't throw the deep ball. I think that's pretty far from the truth, but that doesn't stop, uh, that doesn't stop some people from saying it. I think by and large people recognize what he's capable of. Uh, I've now seen no fewer than three or four – uh, scouts, current scouts, former scouts, who say that he's the best quarterback in this draft. So to sit there and try to pretend that, you know, when I see people say he, you know, he doesn't belong in the first in the top five conversation, I couldn't disagree more. So so, nice job by McAgnan. Preempt the strike. Didn't sit on his hands. The Buffalo Bills did. Now the Jets are at three, and the Bills are wondering where they go from here. And. uh We'll find out in the coming days. And, again, there are other teams you can't really rule out making a deal. But good job there. And another 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 area I wanted to talk about this, and I'm sure I've covered it um, on previous episodes, 
but just kind of kind of going through it. But um, you know, I, I think that looking at, I just want to take a, a closer look at it this time around. Looking at what Mike McCagnan has done with at, at the wide receiver position, and bringing in Terrell Pryor. And you know, people made <clears throat> comments about you know they have 16 receivers on the roster. That's you know that's not a surprise. Every year there's you know when you have a 90 man roster, every year there's one or two position groups where you see you know 15, 16, 17 names. I remember a couple of years ago, you know the, the Jets had something like 13 guards. I mean they were listed as O linemen, but these guys were all guards, 13 guards on the roster. So it happens, you know, it's not, <clears throat> it's just obviously a bunch of guys that aren't going to stick around. But of the guys that will stick around or, you know, are most likely to stick around, whatever, whatever quarterback the Jets do take in this draft, whether it's Mayfield or Rosen or Darnold or Allen, I guess we should throw his name in there even though I, I don't see it happening. But either way, that's neither here nor there. Whoever is under center for the Jets when the season starts, and I, yes, I understand McCown and Bridgewater could win the job, but I guess I should say whoever they take at three, and when they do get under center, they're gonna have they're gonna have a wide receiver depth chart, and it's you know it's not always about the numbers. I say that all the time, you know it's look at the games, look at the production, look at where the throws are, look at what these guys are doing, and and a big part of it too is who's throwing these guys the ball. We talk all the time about how Tom Brady makes you know mediocre receivers look great. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes receivers have to, you know, have to make a, a a bad quarterback look good, or you know, or just just make quarterback look better than what he is. Let's let's, let's say that doesn't always have to be that you make a, one a bad quarterback look good, but just raise the, raise the level of your 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 quarterback's production by being a a high quality receiver. So let's look at Terrell Pryor, right? Signed as a free agent, one year deal, but this is a guy. Who had who had to make the transition from college quarterback to NFL failed NFL quarterback to uh, NFL wide receiver, and there were people left and right that wrote that guy off. I was one of them. I remember seeing that he was working out with Randy Moss, and I just thought, "This no man, you can when, when do you see this happen? When does a quarterback, you know, make the, make that transition while after several years as a quarterback in the NFL and make that transition and and do it successfully? You just don't see it." And so Terrell Pryor makes the transition a couple of years ago. He's in Cleveland, and he's playing with Case Keenum. So I'm sorry, not Case Keenum, Cody Kessler, playing with Robert Griffin, and he even had Josh McCown for two or three starts, a couple games in there. But Cody Kessler, RG3, and Terrell Pryor, who checks in at 6'3", and runs a 4.3840. And we, we've heard some ridiculous 40 times on him. Sometimes he's pro day and workout 40s. You know, it, it's it's you take it you take it with a grain of salt sometimes. Um, I'm not saying that, that Terrell Pryor isn't a, a speed demon. I'm not saying he's he, I'm not saying he's not running a legit four three eight. What I'm saying is sometimes you see these. You know, I think I saw a report that when he worked out for the Jets a couple of years ago, um, he ran like a four two or four two one or something. I'm always skeptical about those, but let's just say four three eight at his pro day. And playing with the quarterbacks I mentioned previously, got put up a thousand yards a couple years ago. With with a really really weak quarterback room, I mean he he didn't have much to work with, and so this guy who is six foot three, and runs a four three eight, 
put up a thousand yards with some pretty bad QBs. So he becomes, we'll just say he's your your your, you know, wide receiver one, because really it's not going to matter. They're going to have enough depth on this offense. Guys are going to move in and out. They're going to they're going to be able to do, you know, a, a lot of different things with the group that they have, with the versatility. But let's so so you've got you've got Terrell Pryor on one side. Then opposite him, now you've got Robbie Anderson who. This becomes a bigger deal now because, and I, I think I mentioned it last week, with his charges being reduced, there's a really good chance this guy gets a one-game suspension. So any thoughts of is this going to be a four games, is going to be a six? He's had some multiple run-ins with the law, this, that, and the other thing. He's probably looking at a one, maybe a two-game suspension. So you got Robbie Anderson on the other side. And Robbie Anderson is an inch taller than Terrell Pryor, built completely differently. Terrell Pryor is a much bigger-bodied guy. But even still, 6'4", Robbie Anderson's 4'3", 4, 4. And Robbie Anderson, again, no disrespect to Josh McCown. He did a really nice job last year. But, and really more of it with, with, uh, with Anderson is year one with Fitzpatrick. Um, how many times Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't able to hit him on a deep ball because he just didn't have the arm strength. Um, but even again this year, he was missed on some throws. And he still, the guy was, you know, I want to say he was uh, 40 yards short, 41 yards short of a 1,000-yard season, and that's with Josh McCown going down for the last few games of the year. Guarantee you, if Josh McCown stays healthy and Bryce Petty doesn't go out, Robbie Anderson puts up a 1,000-yard season last year. In year two, as an undrafted free agent as a guy who runs a 4-3-4. Prior and Anderson. How many, how many teams in the NFL – I'm actually going to take the time to look this up because I want to know how many teams in the NFL – have dual starting receivers who are 6'3 or more, both of them 6'3 or more, and both running legitimate sub 4 4.40s, and both being guys who have already proven they can play. This isn't a matter of undrafted guys or rookies coming into camp or guys who have promise but have never really broken out. These are guys who have done it. Now, they haven't done it consistently over the years, but they've shown they can do it. They've shown they can get behind great, great corners. Then there's Quincy Inunua, another guy. Again, talking earlier about how Pryor was able to put up some pretty solid numbers despite playing with a bad, with a bad quarterback situation. Quincy Inunua, uh, his last full season, was with Ryan Fitzpatrick as quarterback. And he put up 800-plus yards. And that was, that was the year when Eric Decker went down with an injury. Brandon Marshall was a shell of himself from the previous season. It was really a one-man show. At receiver, and that was Quincy Inunua. So he was really sort of the de facto one-two guy. Because, even, I mean, yeah, even though Robbie Anderson was playing consistently and getting open consistently, he was being missed consistently. So Quincy Inunua became the top guy, and playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Inunua puts up 800 yards. So now you have Pryor who put up 1,000 with some bad quarterbacks. You have Robbie Anderson who should have got over 1,000 last year. If not for the injury to McCown, you have Quincy Inunua going 800-plus with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then you throw in Jermaine Curse. Now, he's not a speed guy. You know, ran a 4.58. He's a 4.58 guy, but he's another guy, 800 yards last year. 800 yards receiving. He's not a, he's not a real big guy, 6-1, but he shows, he's shown that he can get open. He's shown that he's got excellent hands. And last year, he was the one or two. This year, he could be the three or four. It's really, it's, when you look at this receiving core, 
from top to bottom, it really is something else. And I think that it's not, you know, it's not being taken seriously at, at the moment, which is fine. People can sleep on them. You know, people can assume that, oh, because they're the Jets, there's just nothing there. You know, you have Ardarius Stewart, Chad Hansen, both these guys coming back from, you know, uh, following their rookie seasons. Obviously, I think we can all agree they didn't play as much as we would have liked. But when Chad Hansen got some, you know, when Chad Hansen appeared to jump the jump Ardarius Stewart on the depth chart and make a few plays here and there when he was given the opportunity, um, he impressed. He did some things that made you look at him and say, all right, this is a guy who might be a really good player. And, you know, plenty of time. And now, you know, no rush for him to develop. It's there's there's no pressure, you know these guys these guys are now, I mean some they may not even make the roster to be honest. I could see one one of them at the very least because you got a lot of receivers. You know and the other guy I wanted to talk about, Charles Johnson. Okay, so here's a guy who's missed last year with some injuries, didn't play. He was placed on IR last season, and the two seasons before that he was he was relatively quiet, playing in Minnesota with Teddy Bridgewater, but two, the year before that, I want to say in 20, no, sorry, in 14, he was hurt in 16, sorry, he was hurt in 17, 16 and 15, he wasn't that productive, but he was a guy, six foot two, runs a four three nine, and as a role player, just a role player guy, not a, not a number one receiver, he had 475 yards with Teddy Bridgewater playing quarterback in Minnesota, so maybe it's, maybe it's a familiarity. Maybe the Jets look at him and they see him as a target they can bring in and kind of help as they hope that Teddy Bridgewater comes along and, and you know, shows some improvement or, you know, gets back to his old former self. You bring in a, a, a target that he's familiar with. <clears throat> but I wouldn't be surprised if he finds a way to make this roster and contribute. And if he's your fifth receiver or your sixth receiver, you're doing all right. You're doing, pre- doing pretty damn good. Terrell Pryor. Six three four thirty eight. Robbie Anderson, six four four three four. Quincy, six two four four five. Johnson, six two four three nine. And then Curse, six one. He's a slow guy in the group, but he's just a, he's just a damn good receiver, is what he is. If you're if you're a rookie quarterback coming to that you know onto that roster, and then you, you throw in the fact that you've got three running backs in Blau Powell and McGuire, and Crowell, who can all catch the football out of the backfield. All of them can. You don't have to take any of them off the field. They can all be three down guys. None of them are, you know, none of them are, it's, it'll be a by committee. No one's going to be a 25-carry-a-game guy. That's fine. But they can pass protect. Actually, Crowell, I, I've, from what I've seen of him, he can pass protect. Most of what I've watched of him is carrying the ball. So I'm not going to pretend I know. I'm not going to pretend that I've seen him do a lot of work in pass protection, but I think it's something McGuire can do. We know Powell can do it. McGuire can do it. And now, even if you, even if you don't have that the big name at tight end, you know, or even if you don't take a tight end in the draft, as some people have have suggested, even then, you don't have to have that 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 great that great receiving threat. But I'm going to come off that topic for just one second because we are joined now on Jet Nation Radio by Christian Dyer, 
who joins us as a uh, Christian is a writer for New York Metro, and uh, he does some stuff on the Jets, covers the Giants a little bit too, and uh, he's done. He's actually got a couple pieces he's written recently that uh, we're going to ask him about. He's talked about the the retirement of Nick Mangold, which is just announced today. Of course, we're going to touch on that, and uh, and some thoughts that he got from a that was shared with him uh, by a former scout. With his thoughts on Baker Mayfield, we'll talk the draft a little bit. Uh, how you doing today, Christian? Good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. I've just uh, opened up here a little bit talking about um, – and actually, I, I do want to get your thoughts on this, too. I know you don't have a ton of time. do appreciate you joining us. Um, but one thing I brought up, only because I saw, I saw a uh, couple of tweets earlier that Buffalo Bills uh, general manager Brandon Bean has come out and commented on the Jets-Colts trade and said it was sort of – a weird time for it to happen, and it's normally closer to the draft that you see those types of deals. I kind of feel like that's a – and I said at the time of the deal, this is a great job by McCagden because he didn't, he didn't sit around and let himself get leapfrogged. I think this is Buffalo saying we wanted to move up, but that deal just made it harder. And uh, I think they were sitting on their hands a little bit, expecting to start wheeling and dealing the week before the draft. And uh, Mike McCagden went for it, and now the Bills might be uh, a little bit out of luck. But I love the deal. I love the fact McCagden made the deal. I love the fact I didn't give up a first. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it, it is a little bit of an unusual time. You don't usually see, you know, five weeks out uh, a team moving up into the top five. And, uh, you know, it, this could actually be brilliant if the Jets do, in fact, get the guy they want. And no matter who they pick at number three, they're going to say, this is the guy we wanted. He's the one at the top of the mm-hmm. draft board. Uh, you know, he was the best available player. So I'm not sure, yeah. uh, you know, if we can always buy that narrative, right? Uh, but when when it's all said and done, the Jets didn't overpay three second-round picks and a swapping of first-round picks. Uh, you know, certainly um, it, it wasn't what the Eagles had to pay to move up and get Carson Wentz, uh, but it, it's, it certainly was a good deal from that perspective. I think it locks them in to a position now where they can focus and really not have to worry about kind of, you know, all the external buzz. There, there's going to be two guys taken in front of them, and then they, they've got their short list, I, I'm pretty sure, of three, maybe four players that they feel. And it's, and it's probably even shorter than that. It's probably one or two. You make a move like this, obviously, with the idea that, that two guys are going to be there. If you lose one, then you've got the other one, and, and you feel very comfortable with it. But, you know, the concern certainly that I would have is that uh, things don't go according to plan, that somebody leaps ahead of them, and the first two picks are the players that they really wanted. And then all of a sudden, maybe the Jets are left looking at a quarterback that they didn't necessarily envision for their system that they weren't crazy about. But now because they moved heaven and earth to, to get that, uh, they, they have to go that route or they end up getting a running back when maybe that isn't the top priority, maybe not a bad pick, but certainly the optics would not look good with, with that type of a move. So uh, I, I can understand it. Um, Mike McCagnan is certainly a little bit of a gambler. He's a poker player. So, you know, he's going to make a move kind of like this, but um, you know, I, I can understand why it, it was an intelligent trade, but it's still fraught with risks. Yeah, I think uh, as far as my opinion on it all along has been, and, you know, you say they probably have two guys. Personally, I think if they make this move, I think they sat down and said, are there three guys in this draft that we could build around and win with? Not, not in terms of who's our first, who's our second, who's our third, but are there three quarterbacks in this draft who are good enough to build around and win with? Um, because, again, I, 
I think what you're saying is moving up to three and then not getting a quarterback they even want or having to skip. I mean, if they don't take a quarterback with this pick, I, I can't imagine it. I, even if they didn't want to. I mean, they've the, the, got to sell tickets. And I think a lot of fans are going to freak out if they come out, come away without a quarterback in round one. But it remains to be seen. And I know that you did a piece earlier this week on a guy who, on, uh, on Baker Mayfield, who I have said all, you know, at least, well, over the last couple of weeks, I've kind of settled on. To me, it was between him and Josh Rosen. But the more I watch of Mayfield, the more I watch him make throws on the run and the way I see him get away from pressure. And I see Josh Rosen's inability to do that. Mayfield, to me, is the guy they should be shooting for. A lot of sources say that is who they're shooting for. But tell us a little bit about the piece you wrote, um, speaking with one former scout who thought uh, had, some, had some high praise for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I, I spoke with Dan Shanka, who runs the website rlads.com. I know a lot of people spend time looking at Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper and everybody else, but uh, Dan Shanka is one of those guys who should be up there in the conversation. He's a former scout with, with uh, several NFL teams, including the Philadelphia Eagles. He even spent some time at the USFL, which we know as a league uh, certainly was, was in many ways a feeder league after they folded. There was a lot of talented players who went into the NFL from the USFL, and they had to have good scouting to be competitive. Uh, he, he raves, and he says that he thinks that Baker Mayfield is the top quarterback in the draft, better than Sam Darnold. Uh, he, to, to him, he's the number one player to take and that if he is there sitting there at number three, he wants Baker Mayfield to be the pick for the Jets. He thinks he's a transformational player. He thinks he can make all the, the throws, is impressed with his arm strength. You know, you mentioned his mobility. That jumps out. Uh, you know, the thing that you're always, always concerned about with Baker Mayfield is twofold. One, height. Uh, there's there's not too many quarterbacks this side of Drew Brees that are successful and Russell Wilson and those types uh, at that height. Prototypically, you want to see somebody in that 6'4", 6'5", type of range who can see over the offensive line, who can make the throws over the pass rush. Uh, we, we've seen how the talented players like the J.J. Watts can be absolutely disruptive off the edge, not just getting to the quarterback, but clogging up the passing lanes and making a difficult batting down ball. So there is a concern about Mayfield with his height. And then, of course, there's the on-the-field, off-the-field concern about his antics and his behavior. I actually met Baker Mayfield a couple weeks ago uh, in Atlantic City at the Maxwell Football Club, their annual awards where he was being honored as the college football player of the year. And I asked him about that. I said, you know, if you're taken by one of the New York teams, there's going to be a lot of concerns about you off the field. And he said, listen, I'm just, I'm happy to sit on my porch at the end of the day and just be by myself and just hanging out. And I'm mellow. And he said, but on the field, I click on and I'm a competitor and I'm never going to change. And if the team wants me to change from being heated and fiery on the field, then, then I'm not the right guy for them. And I thought that was a good response. And I, I think a Jets franchise where a, a fan base is you know, longing for a winner, that, that's what Baker Mayfield wants to do. I don't think there's going to be any concerns off the field with him being you know, Broadway Baker, being the guy out there partying at night, or uh, you know, some of the indiscretions we've seen from quarterbacks over the past few years with the Jets. I don't think there's going to be that concern. This kid wants to win. He wants to prove people wrong. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder, and if that doesn't sound like the New York Jets as an organization and the New York Jets fan base, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, uh, then I haven't covered this team very well over the past few years. Yeah, I think the, uh, I think the off-field stuff is way overblown, at least to me. Um, you know, 
people like to make the Johnny Manziel comparison, which is which is just foolish. I mean, you know, there's a video of Johnny Manziel being thrown out of parties at opposing teams' campuses because he was so drunk. I mean, it was a kind of a regular thing with him. Whereas Mayfield, yeah, he had the one idiotic thing with the cops, and uh, and other than that, it was just on field. You know, the the, the crotch grab gesture. Is it you know is is it really that big of a deal? I, I don't think it is, and I, I think anybody who thinks that, you know, a team shouldn't take a guy because a you know a 19 or 20 year old kid made a, made a, a rude gesture. I mean, I'm the first one to say I love drafting high character guys. I take I get a lot of flack from that from fans sometimes because I'll say no, nope, don't want this guy. You know, I don't like the character issues, but I think the stuff with him is 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 way overblown. But uh, and he's a, a couple other things. And Christian. he wants and he and he wants to win. I you know I think I think the yeah. crotch grabbing and taking the flag and planting it at the middle of the field in Ohio State and and some of those things that's all born out of a competitive desire. Is it my style? Is it my temperament? You know it, it certainly isn't. But it's coming from a place where uh, you know it's a it, it's different persona. And you know Tim Tebow would go out there and scream and yell and and pump his fists and you know do all those things and, and people love it. Well, Baker yep. Mayfield's got his own spin on it. And I'm not saying one is better than the other. It, they're just different. And I think that uh, with a coaching staff here in New York, and you look at what Todd Bowles has done, people don't talk about this enough, but Todd Bowles has brought in a lot of guys who have played in the league, who have been established, who have been experienced. And I think if ba- Baker Mayfield or whoever the Jets bring in so much as flinches from the discipline, um, you know, uh, there at one Jets drive, I think he can very easily flash a Super Bowl ring and say, oh, yeah, you want to doubt me. And you couldn't say that in the past about some of the coaches that the Jets have had in here. You know, they may have had Super Bowl rings as a coach, but not as a player. And Todd Bowles was was uh, a guy who uh, went kind of the unheralded route, going to Temple, coming up from an Elizabeth program in high school, Elizabeth, New Jersey, just outside Newark Airport, where people didn't uh, you know, necessarily recruit him, was an undrafted rookie free agent, made it stick, won a Super Bowl, and then as a coach, kind of followed a very similar path through JUCOs and uh, you know, historically black colleges and kind of working his way up the ladder. Uh, I, I think that that type of temperament, that type of no-nonsense, and look what Todd Bowles was willing to do this offseason. He was willing to cut Muhammad Wilkerson, knowing the cap hit, knowing how much the Jets had invested in him, what he meant to the franchise, because he wasn't buying into the system and the program. And I think that sent a real message to that locker room that no one is bigger than the Jets organization or how Todd Bowles wants to do things. So this might be a really good fit for Baker Mayfield. I don't think he necessarily needs that type of disciplinarian head coach, but I don't think it's a bad support system for someone as talented as him to have. Yeah, I think uh, that, that's something I'd like to actually touch on you with at, at a later date, because I know you're short on time, but I, I, personally I, I felt like Todd Bowles let Muhammad Wilkerson get away with being lazy for two years before Mike McCagnan finally cut him. But that's like I said, we can talk about that another time. Um, the uh, the other the, this big story of the day for the Jets, um, and you wrote a great piece on it. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, Jets fans, check it out. Um, look Christian Dyer up on Twitter, and he's got uh, a really nice piece on former Jets center Nick Mangold, who announced his retirement. You were in the locker room plenty of times uh, covering the team while Nick Mangold was the starting center for uh, for Rex Ryan. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts and uh, some, some, th- some things you can pass along about Nick Mangold, Christian? Well, the, the Nick Mangold that you saw on TV or saw in the stadium was the Nick Mangold in the locker room and the Nick Mangold away from the field. And 
Now, I have the benefit of living not too far away from Florham Park and the Jets facility, and you frequently bump into people who would say, oh, I saw Nick Mangold last night. He was as nice as could be. Or, no, he was just a guy who just was, was hanging out and who was approachable and wanted to talk with the kids. And, uh, you know, not everybody would necessarily agree with him uh, with maybe some of his social stances or his political stances. But uh, when he felt something, he wore his heart on the sleeve. And uh, that may have been with politics, and that might have been wearing the NYPD hat and some of those things. But it also meant that uh, for him, being a jet, uh, a, a jet was not something that was a part-time job. It was 110% what Nick Mangold wanted to be and what he wanted to embody. And uh, no one was more distraught after games than Nick Mangold when the Jets lost, and, and no one was more level-headed either when they won. Uh, you saw him, and, and you talked with him after a big win in 2009 or 2010 in the playoffs, and it was, okay, well, the job's not done yet. We need to go out there and do it. And some of his teammates might have been whooping it up or enjoying the moment. And, uh, again, there's nothing wrong with that temperament, but Nick Mangold wasn't going to be happy until – uh, the, the Jets won a Super Bowl, and it's unfortunate that someone of his talent, his caliber, uh, n- never made it to a Super Bowl, let alone won it with the Jets. I, I know we could say that about an awful lot of players who have come through here. <laughs> Certainly, uh, but, absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of fans who have come and gone through here, too, without seeing uh, as much success as probably their, their fandom deserves. But uh, Nick Mangold was who he was, and that was a guy who cared deeply about this team, uh, cared deeply about the things that uh, he was passionate about. And he was passionate about the Jets, and he worked very hard in the off season. And uh, I think he's going to be missed. They, I wrote that they broke the mold when Nick Mangold was created, and I don't know if there's anyone in that Jets offensive line currently who's going to be that quiet type of leader that Nick Mangold was. And he didn't draw attention to himself necessarily in that capacity. He wasn't the rah-rah, sus-boom-ba, let's fire up the troops, but he just went out there and he worked. And when he lost, man, uh, he took it personally. Yeah, definitely a guy who led by example. And one of the more successful picks this team has had, you know, in, in, in the 30-plus years that I've been a fan. So uh, I, I think everybody realizes it's going to, you know, we, we've seen – the, the few times he was out with the Jets, and then again this year we saw what an impact it has when you don't have a, a capable center, and he was far more than that as a seven-time Pro Bowler. Um, so be, so before you go, Christian, um, your thoughts on the draft? First of all, you know, we touched on the quarterbacks a little bit. Um, I would ask you, A, who do you think the Jets take at three? And, uh, and B, give us a couple of sleepers. Give us a sleeper on offense, a sleeper on defense, and uh, tell us a little bit about them. Well, I think if Sam Darnold's there, and there, there have been some mocks saying that Josh Allen might be the quarterback for Cleveland at number one, and Saquon Barkley the take at number two for the Giants. Um, if the Giants hold on to that pick, which I'm not convinced they will, I, I think the Giants would very much like to move back. Uh, perhaps the trading partner might be the Buffalo Bills. I think in all likelihood, Baker Mayfield is the pick for the Jets. I think he's a great fit. I think he's got that over-the-top personality, which – he, he does have an infectious personality having met with him. 
you know, he, his magnetism will excite the fan base. It's going to sell season tickets. It's going to sell jerseys. It's going to check off everything that Woody and Chris Johnson would want off the field. And I think on the field, he's that right fit for them under center, a guy who can make all the throws. Uh, he's a football nut. He understands coverages. He understands schemes. Uh, to me, Baker Mayfield uh, should be should be and likely will be the pick. But I think it would be hard to turn down Sam Darnold. If the, if the Todd McShay mock draft plays out the way it, uh, it was presented today, that would be an awfully, awfully tough pick uh, to pass up there. He would be exciting too. And then I, I think in, in the later round, there's going to be some good value for the Jets uh, in terms of a few local guys. Uh, Temple has a few products. I do think Kamoko Ture, I know he was the pick for you guys in round three in your latest mock draft. I really like that pick for the Jets. I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to be there. He may be a round two guy. Uh, his athleticism flies off the charts. He's an intriguing player. Uh, certainly played at a good level at Rutgers in the Big Ten. Always stepped up and helped on special teams in terms of uh, you know the field goal unit trying to block field goal attempts. Uh, he he did that quite well at Rutgers. Um, he's really kind of a new football player as well too. Only played uh, a year or two in high school, so he's got a big upside. Yeah. He, he's gonna he tested very well. And then I think on the offensive side of the ball, Chase. Edmonds to me is somebody who's intriguing. He just came in for one of the workouts with the Jets. They had him in for local days. They interviewed him at the combine. Uh, He's a little bit of a scat back back there. Uh, He is elusive, uh, not a great blocker, but but good catching the ball. Had an injury concern last year. If he didn't, in all likelihood, he was going to become the all-time leading rusher in FCS history for a program that just really historically does not send players to the next level. So uh, to me, his athleticism, his wiggle back there is going to be good. Um, He's not a complete back, but I think he put him into a rotation back there, uh, especially with Bilal Pal being the workhorse. He could be a nice change of pace back. Yeah, I actually saw him, uh, seen him projected as a seventh round, sixth, seventh round type project or uh, player, so that he he may end up being there later in the draft. Um, Yeah, I would take him early sixth round if I was the Jets. Yeah, I, I think I think he's there in that spot. There, I mean, let's face it. This is in terms of running backs. This is such a deep class. There's a lot of good ones out there. Um, I really like Niam Hines from uh, North, NC State. I think he's a really good player. Sure. Uh, I like his I like his versatility. I think I have him actually as the alternate pick if they don't go with uh, if they don't go with uh, Toure in round three. But uh, Christian, anything else you want to say before we let you go? Just uh, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, take a chance to, to plug anything if you like. Oh, I don't want to plug anything. I, I want to commend the job that I think Mike McCagnin and Todd Bowles made this offseason. I spoke with one general manager who said uh, the Jets did a nice job of plugging holes. They they got better this offseason. And the GM said you can't say that about every team, but they got better this offseason. And going into next year, potentially with a quarterback in his second year in the league with maybe some limited experience, there's an awful lot of money for the Jets to go out there and spend after some of those high-priced free agents. Uh, so I, you know, I don't think that they wasted a year of free agency and necessarily contracts on some of these guys. This could be a Jets team that's pointed in the right direction uh, in about two years' time. I, I think that they're going to be an improved team. I'm not sure if they're necessarily going to be, you know, more than a five, six, seven win team at this point. But I think there's going to be an upward trajectory. It was a, it was a nice off season by McCagnin and Bowles. I thought. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know that they needed to address some critical areas. They got a, a corner, they got a number one corner, uh, bringing Claiborne back. Now you move him to two, so really, same guy coming back, but you're upgrading both spots by putting better players in both positions. Team them with those young safeties. They they could be special back there. I like the receivers. I think they've done a really good job. It, you know, the, the the center position, I think they were in a tough spot. They had to upgrade. I didn't like the idea of giving Richburg a ton of money with all the time he missed last year. And I don't know that Jensen was a good fit for his own scheme. So long makes sense. Swanson, I don't think, honestly, I don't think Travis Swanson is much better than Wesley Johnson. Um, I think he's a depth guy. Uh, he, he's a guy who we'll have to see if he makes the roster. But all in all, you know, I, I think a lot, of, lot of good moves all around and, and a lot of and a lot of the deals, you know, Spencer Long being one of them, it's really it's it's a four year deal, but they can cut them after year one with no cap implications. So uh they, they structured a few of those deals in such a way that if guys don't perform early on they can move on and they're already looking at over a hundred million next year. Yeah, I, I would I wouldn't mind a million or two next year if they, if they're interested. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll drop them a line. But uh thanks for joining us again, Christian. Um we'll uh Look forward to hearing from you in the future, and uh, you have a great night. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, so that was Christian Dyer from New York Metro chiming in. Uh, liked what he had to say about the quarterbacks. I like, uh, you know, uh, I slightly disagree. As, as I said with Christian, I think that the Jets will have three guys that they feel comfortable with. Um, if I'll tell you what, if they made that move to not to, to end up with a quarterback they don't like, I mean, again, it, it's not as if we're going to know that. And Christian, you know what Christian said, we say it every year that every team is going to say the guy they got is the guy they wanted. What, who, who comes out after the draft and says, "Damn, we got stuck with that guy," you know? I think the closest to it a few years ago, Chip Kelly, when he was with the Eagles, took a guy and said after the draft, "We had a list of players we liked." But uh, apparently other teams liked them too, so they were all gone. So I think the Eagles were picking like 15th, and uh, they came to the draft with like seven names, and they were all gone. So they scrambled and took that kid. I think it was Marcus Smith. Um, anyway, that's a uh, random memory that popped up and thinking about how often a team admits that they went with a guy they didn't want. And that's about as close as you'll get to it, saying we showed up and all the guys we wanted were gone. But either way, moving on. So – we talked again about uh, about Mangold retiring. I think anyone who's been watching this team for more than you know ten, eleven years, you know, does have a, a great appreciation for what he brought during his time. You know, fierce competitor, but at the same time, just quiet leader on the field, as, as Christian mentioned, a lead by example type of guy. And of course, you know, this, this quarterback stuff, folks, is. Uh, it's it's going pretty uh it, it's getting pretty crazy it's it, i mean let's face it it's getting annoying it's at the point now where everybody you know it it seems like every single guy who has a first round grade is uh is getting their chance to be mocked to the jets uh, i think i even saw just a few weeks ago lamar jackson mocked to them i think that may actually that may have been while they were still at 6 but either way, it just seems every quarterback in the draft is being mocked to the Jets at some point or another. Really not, not something worth worrying about um, in terms of, you know, the, the, these late-round guys. It's, or, sorry, not late-round guys. But Josh Allen, can't see it being him. Lamar Jackson, 
don't see that happening. I think it's Rosen or Mayfield. And if he falls, Darnold. And whether or not that whether or not he falls remains to be seen. And um, but getting back to the what, what I was talking about before before Christian called in, the, the this offense that the the new quarterback is going to have to work with. Um, we talked about the receivers. We talked about the running backs and the tight ends. You know, we were talking about how this is in a position where where they're going to need a great player because there should be so much room to work with underneath. Um, and the Jets apparently like Jordan Leggett. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see him last year. Neil Sterling, who signed his uh, signed his tender today, um, is another guy who impressed late in the season. Eric Tomlinson, we've talked about. He's a you know good blocker, better receiver than people thought. Didn't didn't haul in a ton of balls, but from seeing him at camp, he caught everything that was thrown his way and uh, and and stepped up and. You know, I, I, I can't recall any drops this year from him. Again, he uh, he only had a few grabs, but basically that's what you want. You want a guy who can do what's asked of him when it's asked. And Eric Tomlinson's been able to do that. So, he's, no, he's not a dynamic guy. But, uh, you know, he's a six foot six receiver. He's a guy who could be a playmaker. Clive Walford, who we've talked about, could be a difference maker. But I think the, the big thing is, to the, in regards to the tight end position itself, do the Jets feel comfortable enough there that they that they won't use another draft pick there? There's part of me that says I don't want them to, but then I look at a guy like Troy Fumagalli, and I'd be more than happy to see them use a fifth or sixth round pick on him. I still find it hard to believe he'll be there that late, and you know, from everything I'm reading, every you know, several mocks haven't been there that late. But when I watch that guy play, I just I don't think to myself, yeah, he's a sixth rounder. I just don't see it. I think he's a a guy you could see going around four, um, and I just I, I, I'd be shocked if he's there in round six. But uh, if we're if we are to believe the experts who have all of the uh, the many years of expertise, then uh, then he's a fifth or sixth round guy. I would again happily take him in in either of those rounds. A six foot six receiver who can up who can uh, run up the seam, make a big play, be a red zone target at six foot six. Give you a lot of different options on offense, and uh, and the Jets are going to have as we they're going to have a lot of guys they can move around. I think that we're going to see we're going to see uh, a lot of four and five receiver sets. Even though Todd Bowles has talked about wanting you know wanting to be a running team, and reports came out after John Morton's firing that that was the reason for the firing is, is that Todd Bowles wanted to see more more ground and pound, but he didn't get that. He thought Morton threw the ball too much. But I'll tell you what if uh, if you have that receiving crew and you have a quarterback who's playing well, even who's playing average, I don't see why you would, uh, you know, going into this season, I don't see why you wouldn't be a, a pass-heavy team. But it is entirely possible that uh, if they end up going with a younger guy at some point, they uh, they go run heavy to try to protect him a little bit. But if and when they do decide to air it out, the opportunities are going to be there. The weapons are there on offense. It's a matter of how well does the offensive line play. We've heard about, uh, you know, we, we've spoken several times this offseason about Brian Winters. He was interviewed by, uh, or I saw a couple of stories come up today that he's, you know, he's talking about how he's how much pain he was in and, you know, from the time he woke up to the time he, he went to bed at night, he was in terrible pain and it, it, it affected his play. And we said during the year that, there you know, there had to be something going on with him because you don't just, you don't play as well as he did two years ago, 
and then in one off season completely forget how to play football and just go out there and get killed every week because Brian Winters struggled terribly last year. We know that. But if that O-line holds up, who knows? Who knows what this offense can do? I don't, you know, it's way too early to for any predictions. You got to see who else comes in. You got to see who stays healthy. You got to see, you know, what the what the plan is with with the quarterback that they bring in. Is it going to be? Is there going to be a legitimate chance to win the win the job? I would hope so with the third pick. But you never know, especially with Todd Bowles. We know Todd Bowles loves his veterans, so it could be a situation where Bridgewater or McCown get the job. And then down the line, whether it's ineffectiveness on their part or if the team isn't winning, then you can go to the rookie. And, you know, the example people use, and rightfully so, is the uh, when Kurt Warner was opening, opened up the season for the Giants and a few weeks later Eli Manning stepped in and took over. So will the Jets have their next Eli Manning? Or, or, or I guess their first in, in getting a quarterback who can win a couple Super Bowl rings? We'll know in time, in, in lots of time. But what we do know right now is the draft is less than a week and a half away, and we can, uh, or right about a week and a half away, we can finally put all this talk to bed. We have one more show before the draft. Looking forward to doing that, and then looking <laughs> even more forward to the the post draft wrap up because the talk has uh, has reached a level that I think most of us are just ready to get going. I know I am. And I'm sure you certainly are. So keep tuning in. Keep uh, keep listening. We do appreciate you. And uh, we will see you back here next week. And hopefully uh, hopefully some more news on, on what's going on with, uh, well, I guess news, use that term loosely. It'll be all speculation up until draft day. And then once the draft hits, this team hopefully gets a, a legitimate franchise quarterback. Imagine the thought. Have a great night, guys.